0: In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hey, it's Max, and our
1: show today is brought to you by Audible. I always like when Audible sponsors the show because it makes so much sense for you guys. Obviously, you like listening to things. You are uh, listening to this right now. And you also must like reading things because if you didn't like reading things, the show would be uh, very boring for you, is my assumption. Uh, Audible. What is Audible? They are the leading provider of audio content in the world. They have more than 180,000 audiobooks. Basically, anything you would want is on there. Uh, One thing that is not on there yet is Heather Haverleski's new book. She's our guest this week. She's got a book coming out soon called How to Be a Person in the World. And that's not on Audible, but it will be because everything is on Audible. If you don't believe me, go check it out. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash longform. That's audiblepodcast.com slash longform. You can start a free 30-day trial right now and download an audiobook of your choice. Any book you want for free. Check it out. Audiblepodcast.com slash longform. Here's the show. Hello! Welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I am Max Linsky. I'm here with just one co-host, Evan Ratliff. How are you, sir? I'm well, Max. How are you? I'm doing fine. Aaron is uh, off this week, and uh, I did the interview this week. Who did you talk to? It was me. Who was it? Uh, it was Heather Haverleski. She is the advice columnist at New York Magazine, among many other things. She writes that Ask Polly column. Do you read Ask Polly? I do. Does it make you feel better about your life and yourself? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes worse. <laughs> She is really good, though. She wrote one recently, just a long thing about romance and yeah, it was marriage. About, yeah, yeah, it was about like um, uh, 10 years of, of marriage. And uh, uh, I've not been married for 10 years, but I've I've been with the same person for uh, around that amount of time. And I was on vacation with that person in Los Angeles, which is where Heather lives. And I, I left that person to go interview Heather. That's perfectly appropriate. <laughs> you don't mean left like you, you split up. No, 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 no. I just, or... I just like went away for a morning. Okay, good. Yeah, I came back. All right. But uh, yeah, that's what romance is. You just you go on vacation with your partner who you've been begging to go on vacation with for a very long time, and they schedule work even though you're on vacation, and you're okay with it. That's marriage, Evan. <laughs> well, I don't, it sounds like you have a column in you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a marriage column. Um, I want to uh, before we get to the sponsors. I want to. Uh, Observe that there is a new Atavist Magazine story out. Observe it. I am, have
0: now observed <laughs> that that is true, and people should go read it at magazine.adavis.com. It's called Satchel Page and the Championship for the Re-election of the General. It's by Jonathan Blitzer. It is about uh, Satchel Page, great baseball player who went to the Dominican Republic in his career
1: and uh, played in this crazy tournament uh, sponsored by a Dictator. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. I look That's forward great. to it. One other way you could let people know about that story told them on the podcast, but you could also uh, tell them in an email newsletter. Good idea. Yeah. And if you're going to do that, uh, you already do do that and use MailChimp because they are the best way to do that. Over 8 million businesses use MailChimp to send their email newsletters. Atavis does. Longform does. You should too. Now here's Max with Heather Haverleski. Hi, Heather. Hi, Max. Welcome to the podcast.
2: (laughs) Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be
1: here. Uh, I'm happy to be here because... In my house. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're very happy to be here in your children's playroom.
2: I'm happy to be alive in general.
1: Hey, you and me both. I'm glad we're here in your house because this is where uh, you work.
2: Yeah. And that's my desk over there, by the way, at the end of this playroom. (laughs) Yep, this is where the magic happens.
1: And I should say that um, despite the fact that you write for New York Magazine, we are actually in California.
2: Yeah, it's the best kept secret.
1: <laughs> are, are, we not, are you not supposed to talk about that?
2: Um, no, it's not It's not actually a secret. But I think that people usually assume that I'm in New York because, yeah. I mean, pretty much everything, all the places I write for, a lot of them have New York or have had New York in the title. So yeah, I'm in Los Angeles.
1: School just let out in the suburbs.
2: Yeah. It's okay. It's Is fine. that good? You I mean, get a little ambient yeah, school sounds? Maybe people can
1: hear it, maybe they can I have a a, a question for you about parenting and your work.
2: Oh, this is bullshit, by the way, that you're interviewing a woman and you're asking about parenting. Although I did bring it up. You this it is my up. fault. You I it had, up. We are in a playroom, too.
1: Yeah. I have, like, <laughs> these are legitimate parenting questions I have. Okay. But one of them was when you're a professional advice columnist, like when you spend your time thinking about other people's problems and how to solve them and sort of like trying to set people on a better course, do you do that as a parent? Do no. those two things talk to each other no. at all? No. No totally compartmentalized
2: you know it, the, the advice column is that i write ask polly uh is really a strange thing i don't really know what kind of advice i could possibly have to share with anyone but i love writing i've been a professional writer uh been writing professionally i think is a better way to put that a professional writer sounds like i'm a technical writer kind of um but i've been writing professionally for 20 years and um my writing flows really well. I feel like I'm at that ex You know how it's supposed to take how many years like
1: 10,000 hours or whatever? 10,000
2: hours. I mean, I'm sure I've logged many more than 10,000 hours, but I f- I finally feel like I think I hit 10,000 hours like 10 years ago actually. I figured it out. Um, but I think I needed 20,000 hours, but now um my writing flows so well and I start writing um each column and I just feel like lately especially at the outset I think I don't know how I'm gonna have anything to tell this person. I just, but I just start writing, and by the end of it, kind of magically, I feel like I get into the zone where I understand things. I mean, along the way, I feel like I start to understand things about their puzzle, you know? Like uh-huh. I start putting together the pieces of, huh, she drinks whiskey, she has a lot of sex toys, you know? There was a recent one that was just like a great letter. I love letters that where I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like I understand this person a little bit. I kind of love this person and can relate to them at some level. And I kind of feel angry at this person too. You know, like there's something I need to tell this person. Like it's almost like a judgmental feeling. But then when I go into writing my response, it becomes, it sort of like transforms into something more through empathy, because I'm trying hard to, like, locate my empathy, it transforms into something kind of more, I don't know, useful and beautiful and and inspiring. Um, And then with kids, it's kind of a much more humbling thing. I'm not an expert, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, the thing that's strange about being a parent is... um, you're sort of not an expert until you're completely done with it, which I think is too late. Yeah. Until it's too late. And which is probably why like grandparents are such a pain in the ass (laughs) because they're, they're like, I know now, (laughs) now I understand everything.
1: And anything they feel too strongly about is just like a flaw in you. It's like something they fucked up with. Oh yeah.
2: Well they, you know, I think that they have an experience. that's really similar to my experience writing the column where they see you doing something that's actually just true for your generation. Like, my husband made the mistake of telling my mom on a beach trip, like, yeah, we don't really buy them juice that has corn syrup in it, but that's fine. You know, like, why did, why he said this, I have no idea. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing he's ever said. But my mom was just, you know, it was like, marble, gravel, yeah, yeah. corn syrup, marble, marble. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then they line that up with what they know of you, like, mm-hmm oh, you've always been so nitpicky about things. You know, it's like suddenly (laughs) it becomes this weird, like, you're so critical. You know, like (laughs) it's added up to this composite, you know, of all the the bullshit things you've done in your life. Yeah,
1: I want to go back to something you were saying about the column, which is, you know, you hit your 10,000 hours or 20,000 hours, and that was writing. So the writing now feels very like natural and wheelhouse, but does the advice, wisdom part feel natural in yes, the real house?
2: That, well, okay. I would separate the wisdom, right, from the analysis. The analysis, I probably hit my 10,000 hours when I was like 18, <laughs> which is just like a, um, you know, a really emotional, sensitive, neurotic kid raised by a really emotional, sensitive, neurotic mother who liked to intellectualize emotions. Analysis is kind of, like, something that I've been obsessively doing for millions, you know, from the beginning of time, it feels like.
1: Is it something you've always, like, uh, felt good about?
2: Uh, My mom is a really good storyteller, and I think that I became one thanks to her. And together, we had really satisfying conversations. They weren't emotional—like, I don't want to paint a picture of, like, we had the perfect— Mother daughter relationship, because that's not true at all. You know, we, I don't think, whatever, if it exists, we will never have that. What we had was long, long conversations about complicated psychological things a mm. lot. You know, my parents got divorced when I was 10. My mom and I talked a lot about my dad. He's dead now. He died when I was 25 at the age of 56 from a heart attack out of the blue. But um, he was a really intense, interesting character. Probably technically a narcissist. Um, he was a professor of economics. He was incredibly charismatic, incredibly entertaining. He was like everybody's favorite econ professor because he just was, it was like watching a stand up comedy show practically. Mm-hmm. He was also sometimes very offensive. He was obnoxious. Um, was he
1: emotionally attuned the way that you and your mom are?
2: I wouldn't characterize my mom as emotionally attuned. Okay, Okay, so I was gonna make this distinction before. And although, my mom is a great person. She's, we have a good relationship. I love her like crazy. But she was raised by an alcoholic. So she's a little bit afraid of her own emotions. I mean, I think we all are, honestly. But emotions aren't easy for her. Intellectualizing emotions, that comes very naturally and easy for her. And she doesn't necessarily wanna feel emotions in the presence of other people.
1: Is the talking about it a way to not feel them?
2: It's a way of getting on top of it, you know? It's like you have this thing that you don't understand. Like a Jack Russell trying to stand on top of some, like, hamster ball with a hamster in it kind of thing. Like, you can't get at the hamster. And I think if my mom could get into the ball, she'd just eat the hamster. So it would just (laughs) fucking go away. Leave me alone. Um, but instead you're balancing on this ball, you know, that's how it Uh, feels. It's like this unpredictable thing is beneath you and you're just trying to like get some sense of it and understand it without like ruining everything.
1: When you were doing the, the column for suck and writing those, the comic for suck, like did you have that part of it?
2: Oh, did I have the emotional part of it? Yeah. No, I wrote for something called suck, you know, (laughs) like it, it wasn't a, no, I was like, I was 26 years old and. I just criticized everything around me and and, uh, drank a lot. Uh You know, it's strange when you're in your 20s because you have this like passionate need to understand other people and to just really, you know, you have like the best friendships of your life in some ways. But then you also have like, it's like you're having these love affairs with your friends, you know. You just feel like so passionate about your friends. And then they do something and it's like, ugh, you know. How could this happen? Like, how could you even think that way? And you're just like, forget it. You know, like you have these big breakups. I had a lot of that. I knew that other people couldn't see themselves. And I was like, I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to be better than that. Yeah. But the goal was always to be better, right? As long as your, then your goal... Than
1: your friends that you love. Than everybody. Hated. Yeah. The
2: goal in my 20s, my goal was to be better than everybody.
1: By uh, what metrics?
2: My own. I mean, I was the genius who knew what was the best. I, I wanted to show my true self... But I was ashamed of my true self. I mean, maybe everybody is like that. But um, in my 20s, it was like this war. I was a heavy drinker in my 20s. Um, I kind of stopped when I was about 25 because I went on Accutane. My face broke out like crazy and it needed to end. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I looked around me and I was like, oh, Jesus. Like, people aren't that interesting when they're drunk, actually. You know, I mean, I think a lot of probably drinkers can relate to that. You stop and you're sort of like, not only could I see that things weren't actually getting more and more interesting as the night went on. But I was actually, I suddenly understood for the first time that I was doing things that were not excused by anything while I was drinking. Like I was acting like an asshole Mm. and I was like broadcasting my own thing at everyone else.
1: Not uh, listening.
2: Yeah, I wasn't listening at not even a little bit. You don't remember what other people said when yeah. you're drunk. You remember the d- bullshit things that you said.
1: I recently took a little break from drinking, like a, one that I'd been thinking about taking for a long time, and then I finally did it. And one of the things that was really nice about it, in addition to like not feeling like ass in the morning, was uh, I had like a great string of not saying things that I regretted almost instantly
2: like trusting in your life that you're not going to walk around saying all kinds of stupid shit <laughs> is pretty great. But, you know, you don't value that that much when you're in your 20s. It's sort of like, so what? Like, uh, you know, isn't shame, constant shame, just part of being in your 20s? Like, you, it kind of doesn't it, – it's not – it wasn't – for me, it wasn't until I turned – like, I had kids, and I turned, like, 40, and all of a sudden I was like, this really is embarrassing that I still <laughs> – say <laughs> fucked up things to random people. Like, that's messed up. I don't want to... And I, I didn't really even feel it until then. It was like, I don't want to feel that way about myself. I think the, but before I sort of saw it as like, yeah, but I'm an American hero because <laughs> I walk around pissing people off a lot and that's good. Like, you know, so, so I don't know. It
1: strikes me that uh, you are really comfortable talking about all of this stuff.
2: Yeah. <laughs> sure. Like, and...
1: W- Well, I guess, I mean, like, it seems like pretty well-mined territory.
2: Mm -hmm. Like, you
1: kind of have your theories about it.
2: I'm, you know, in a conversation, I'm very attracted to things that I haven't really figured out yet, Mm -hmm. which is why I'm very (laughs) long-winded. Because, I mean, that's kind of what I want from conversation. I want people to be piecing things together as they talk, like me, Mm -hmm. which is hard to fucking, it's hard to get that. It's hard to get that out of other people. Like, to get them in a space where they're like... I'm wandering around the dark too. Let's see what we can find versus like, here's what I've always thought about that. Oh, here's something that I, oh, here's what I thought that contradicts what you've always thought. Oh, well, here's something that I've really rehearsed a lot. And it goes like this. What I'm comfortable with is trying to figure it out live. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? (laughs) Like that's, I just have the most energy for that. So it sounds kind of like, oh, you've thought about this a lot. And it's like, no, actually, (laughs) I think a lot about my 20s, right? And I I write a lot about my 20s. And I think the reason that I love writing the column so much is that every time I write about it, I'm like, oh, weird. And I also, like, it's like this process of discovery. I don't necessarily remember the conclusions I drew the last time I thought about it. Uh And the beauty of a really good letter is that it's like a conversation. If there's enough really good details in the letter it brings me back to some part of my life where i thought the same way mm-hmm. you know or or it even conjures up ways that i'm thinking you know the kind of like toxic parts of the way i think now you know i mean which i i love i love like i love reading a letter and thinking that person's really fucked up and then thinking like oh shit like that I've sounds got really
1: a, familiar i've
2: got a little of that over here <laughs> <laughs> you know? it's like dare i pull that out you know especially if it's like if it's about now, which I'm doing more and more, like, oh, I fuck that up every day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's impossible. I'm, I'm suddenly realizing, like, it's impossible for me to, to avoid talking about my marriage a little bit or my friendship troubles or, you know, like the challenges of being 45 years old. And yeah, I feel like if I'm not digging for what's wrong with me still... I'm not really doing my job. You know what I mean?
1: Because part of the job is to keep doing that work on yourself, or because part of the job is to get into that like unknown wandering around in the dark and see what connections you can make.
2: It's the second thing. It's hard to care about someone getting out of the dark without realizing that we're all like kind of not that far from being plunged into darkness. Just right. by dint of a twist of fate, you know what I mean. Like, and and it's kind of the source of happiness too. I mean, people have said this a million times. Like, an awareness of death, you know, is you know is where true happiness lies. Um, I kind of feel like the fragility of your circumstances, the fragility of your privilege, the fragility of like your sanity. You know, in some ways, like un- honoring that and understanding it, and understanding how tenuous. Even if you're just doing everything right, you know, you're just, you're behaviorally just so in line with the universe and so perfect um, and so centered. It's just that constant feeling of like there, but for the grace of God, go I kind Mm -hmm. of like people bring you their problems and you think I could feel that way too. If you just took away this and that.
1: It's funny. Like I, one of the questions I've written down was like, is this emotionally exhausting? Like it it is doing this work tiring but hearing you talk about it it sounds like maybe it's energizing
2: it's very energizing it's i think that like not doing this work is really fucking exhausting actually (laughs) like um i write about a lot of different things i write book i mean i i I love writing book reviews right now i'm really into my book reviews into writing about books reading books
1: what do you love about those
2: um it's not tv (laughs) i read about tv for a long time you got
1: pretty burned out on tv
2: um yeah uh, but I had a th- I had a point also, I wanted to writing make
1: about TV for like seven years, yeah. and then TV writing became like half the internet. Yes, like you were you stopped doing it right before that became like half of what. That's I how talking.
2: I do it. I control the universe, Max. Um, <laughs> all trends begin and end with me. Um, no, I, you know, yeah. It, once it, there is a feeling that once everyone is in the same pool with you, it's mm-hmm. sort of like. Well, why am I – There was I remember there was a time when I was, like, still writing Mad Men recaps for um, Salon, and I, and I didn't work there anymore. I, I was a freelance writer. I was mostly writing for the New York Times Magazine, but I, I was they kind of asked me to do the Mad Men recaps. And I had this feeling, like, I am really good at Mad Men recaps, <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like it's necessary for me to do that. So I'm up at, like, midnight, you know, trying to analyze why Don said the, you know, strange – poetic weird uh puzzle thing that Don said and i'm just like 50 other people are doing the same thing yeah. i'm doing right now and what the fuck is wrong with us <laughs> like who the fuck cares and who's going to read you know you kind of realize like when you think after you write something i did that i did that really well but i would never i don't think i'd ever read this mm-hmm. and then the next year i did um cartoons cartoon recaps of, the, of Mad Men, which was like more it felt more like now this is useful you right. know like i or boiled the essay. yeah well you know it's like i boiled the episode down to you know six frames yeah. perfect
1: do you feel that way <laughs> at all now about advice columns
2: you know the way i protected myself from the masses of people who were writing about tv was i just didn't read that much by other people. Mm-hmm. I actually, you know, I, it's kind of a shitty, not very popular modern way of approaching your competition if you wanna see it that way. I kind of don't read that many advice columns. I think there are really talented people starting to write advice. I love Mar- Mallory Ortberg. I love Leah Reich. I loved Dear Sugar. I mean, I was the same way about TV writing. I just want to do it my way and feel good about my way of doing it and not worry that some other way is a better way to do it. I kind of, I can kind of always throughout my career, I've always kind of just done what I do the way I do it and Mm -hmm. hoped that the things I liked, other people would like, you know, following a very internal barometer of. Well, I like saying fuck a lot and so I'm just gonna keep saying it. It's just there are times when it's just like it just feels like I have to say fuck here. I'm 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 a little more sparse with the fucking fuck fuck. How come? In the beginning it was like I was just effusive. It was like, that's fucking stupid, fucking <laughs> fucking fuck You know, it was just I was just so thrilled that I was writing this weird thing that could say fuck fifteen yeah. times in a paragraph. Um and now it's sort of like I'll read a response and think, that's fucking wrong. And I think like, mm, that sounds kind of blustery more than it sounds like accurate to that sentence, mm-hmm. you know, like on second read. When I wrote it, it was completely natural, right. but in retrospect, it's a little bit like, nah, you know, there's a little <laughs> bit too much swagger in there. Let's get rid of that one. And it, I, I think it's better. It's it's like I feel I I go back and I read old columns just from the past year and I feel like wow they fit together they fit like an essay now they feel like I don't know I feel like I'm in the zone right now.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it.
2: I love writing this column. I love it. I when I first it's started. It's never a chore. No, no. I'm my other work is sometimes a chore. It's just harder. Mm-hmm. So there are times when I have to write. This one thing, you know, and I'm like, oh, I just want to write a column. I think that the reason I never give up my other stuff and I probably never will is partially for that reason. It's like, I'm good at this culture writing. Mm-hmm. I should keep doing it. It's hard, you know, these book reviews. I got to read a book and think hard about it. It's hard to do, it's hard to do it well. It's not as hard as it used to be, but there it's like writing ask polly is like my reward like
1: i feel like that is increasingly what you're known for
2: um yeah and in the beginning when i wrote it i was like oh no now i'm going to be known as an advice columnist this could be really bad and if the you know and there were, there have been times along the way where i thought god damn my advice column is really fucking good and a lot of people are going to read it someday and then i'm fucked cuz then i'm going to have to walk around you know with lip gloss on giving people fucking advice on talk shows and shit like that, and I'm going to hate myself and but, but maybe I'll get loaded, and then I'll be a rich lady, yeah, who has lip gloss on and is talking to Oprah, and then I'll kill myself, <laughs> you know, because then I, then I won't even be able to write the shit that I write.
1: but now you're you're slowly getting comfortable with the lip gloss.
2: I think what I'm getting comfortable with is very organically. I love doing this, you know? Like I keep kind of, I'll have these conversations with my husband where I'm like, but you know what I'm afraid of is, and he's like, you're describing becoming someone different, which you probably shouldn't be afraid of at age 45, when you are someone who has been pretty stubborn about staying a freak for a long time, you know? Like it's it's not really a realistic um, fear Mm -hmm. for someone like me, that I'm suddenly gonna get up in the morning and flat iron my hair and put on a, you know, Armani suit.
1: Yeah, but you can become an advice columnist and not become a caricature. Like, yes. it, it can become the thing that you do and the thing that you're known for without you turning into an asshole.
2: You just have to do it the way you do it. You know, I think there's a, there are stages, right? It's like part of thinking like, oh, this could get really popular and then I'll have to be my words on the page. Like, how's mm-hmm. that gonna fucking work? Right. Part of it is like, well, what are my words on the page? I was like, well, they're, I mean, they're, it's not a persona, you know? That's me <laughs> on the page. So I don't actually have to become anything. You don't feel anything. like there's,
1: there's any gap between you sitting here right now and Polly?
2: I think I was a little freaked out by that. Like, I was a little worried that people would be horribly disappointed. Like, because if they were really into Polly, if they met me, they'd be like, oh, but, you know, I mean, but this what is, would they even say? this like, is what? my own... This is me. The yeah. thing is, if I say anything I say about what they would say is me describing my shitty attitude about other, you know what I mean? It's just my, it's just a projection. Mm -hmm. Being 45 years old, part of it is like, you know, oh, she's old. You know, (laughs) like, you know, when you age, all the contempt that you feel for old people comes and you have to just eat it up in a beautiful, (laughs) in a beautiful sauce, you know?
1: I have a question related to being old. Okay. You've been writing on the internet for longer than like, uh, anyone else I've talked to because you've been writing on the internet since people were writing on the internet. Yeah. Basically.
2: I think my first piece was December, 1995.
1: Yeah. For suck. Yeah. The way you're talking about poly, it's like this natural place you've landed. It's what you want to be doing and it feels right. And you're in the zone. And have you made choices in your career of like, you were like, well, this would be a smart thing for me to do. This would, this would work well. I mean, a steady paycheck. I would uh, develop this relationship with this editor, whatever that might be. Or have you kind of oriented around, like, this is the work I want to do, and hopefully there's a home for it?
2: This is actually interesting. Things fall in my lap, and then I say no to the parts of the things that fall in my lap that I don't want. That's basically how my whole career has gone. Okay,
1: what's like an example so, of that? So, like,
2: suck. At, at the Red Herring, I was doing this stupid stock numbers things, and then my dad died, And I realized I took like two months off and then I came back and I realized that life is really short. And I didn't want to spend a second of my time ever doing anything that seemed like a waste of time. So I was like, I'm not doing any of these. I told my boss, I'm not going to do these numbers anymore. This is like a waste of my time. I don't care about stock, stocks, silly stocks. You know, I'm working for a place that's all about stocks. I'm like, this this stock stuff has to go. I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) And I was like, I'm only going to write if you need things written, I will write them. And I'm going to look at stuff online, and I'm going to f- inform you about what's online, you know? So, <laughs> Your boss is
1: like, there's the door.
2: <laughs> and he was a friend of mine. He was really nice. And he said, That's, I understand that. That makes sense. I mean, part of it was my dad had just died. I think they just felt sorry for me. So mm-hmm. they kept me around a little longer. And I had some writing samples. So then when the suck thing came along, I came, went to them, and I was like, oh, yes, I'm a copywriter. And I also write fine prose. And I showed them my dumb... Thing. Apparently they don't even remember me ever giving them any kind of evidence that I wrote, but they hired me, and then I decided that all I wanted to do was write, so I was just going to do a really shitty job at the copy editing part of the job, and then you know eventually I was like, I'm not that good at copy editing, so what? I'm a really good writer, you know? I'm writing these things for you that are very popular, and they were like, Yeah, you're right. I guess we have to hire a copy editor. <laughs> um, so like you know, <laughs> failing at the parts of things that that are not that you don't want to do i think mm-hmm. is very helpful my friend karina chicano had the job at salon before i did and she was always like god i'm sick of watching tv this i'm just you know being a tv critic is bullshit i gotta watch all the shitty tv it was like the rise of reality tv and i was watching all the shitty tv too but i was doing it by choice so i was like are you kidding you know temptation island yeah. was like the show and I was like, oh, my God, that show is so good. I love it so much. Please, you know, like, you have the dream job. I can't believe you're complaining. So eventually when she she went to Entertainment Weekly, she recommended me for that job. So that fell on my lap. I mean, it's kind of unfair to talk about the things that fall on your lap.
1: I don't know that I totally uh, buy it, but it's pretty useful information. It's right place, like the... right time. Yeah, but all of this also sounds like hustling.
2: If you knew me, you would never say that. Why? I'm not because I'm just not the least hustly hustler. Like, I had no ambition at all. I was just like, all I know is I can't do the things that I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I only knew what I couldn't do, but I wasn't sure what I really wanted to do. My only options were things that were kind of not intolerable. Writing the cartoon for Suck, that was a dream job. I got paid well, and I, didn't even, I couldn't even illustrate. I was just dreaming up cartoons. I, dream- I dreamt up one cartoon a week and got paid $80,000 a year. Wow. That's the dot-com bubble, folks. I wonder why it all (laughs) fell apart. What happened there? Yeah, I've been spoiled. But, you know, that cartoon was... Go back and find that cartoon. It was fucking funny. Like, I put my whole self into everything I did, too. So the things that I did well, I I did, you know, make them very original. I made a lot of weird, original things.
1: Hey, I'm going to put things on hold for a second and uh, make you feel bad again. (laughs) I'm going to make you feel bad for not building that website that you have been meaning to build for our sponsor this week is Squarespace, the place that makes it super easy to build beautiful websites. If you have a personal site you've been meaning to build, maybe you've got a project, maybe your business has a website from like 1997, you have no excuse. Go to squarespace.com slash longform and start building a beautiful website. You don't need to know a lick of code. Their templates are gorgeous. They work on any device. They've got 24-7 customer support. Really, there is no reason not to start building this site. It couldn't be easier. You don't even have to put a credit card down. You can go try it right now at squarespace.com slash longform. When you do decide to make your first purchase, put in the offer code longform. You'll get 10% off. Squarespace. Thanks to them for giving me another opportunity to guilt trip you. Build that website. Okay, let's get back to Heather. You've written about how your husband is like uh, bringing home the bacon. <laughs> it's a phrase that you've actually used.
2: I just did my taxes.
1: Congratulations.
2: We brought home the exact same amount of bacon really? this year. Really? Equal bacon? Yeah. There were like three lean years where I made significantly less than him.
1: Is that like when when you decided to go freelance? Yeah, yeah.
2: I left salon for the Daily, the Rupert Murdoch iPad thing.
1: Yeah, I read an interview from like right around then with you. The level of optimism around the Daily was amazing. (laughs) It was incredible.
2: That's not fair.
1: I mean, you were like, uh, you were just being a team player.
2: I imagined another suck, you know, stupidly. Mm -hmm. It was just dumb. The thing is, you can take jobs where you just, you like the person you're talking to about their venture, and you're just like, you know, Sasha Fair Jones. i mean, like the the coolest. I'm like, yeah, cool. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to do crazy shit. It's going to be awesome. Um, And then cut to me driving to Beverly Hills to see screenings of movies. I was trying to be a TV critic and a movie critic at the same time, which, Don't ever try that. It's <laughs> fucking stupid. I was driving an hour and a half to Beverly Hills, seeing a screening. And the, the, during the time that I was at the Daily and was a movie critic, it was January and February. Go look at what's in the theaters right now. I <laughs> saw the worst. I saw uh, *NOMIO* and Juliet was one of the better films that I viewed at that time.
1: The Dirty Grandpa appeared of the air.
2: Yes. Reviewing movies is a terrible job. That's no. what I'm just going to say that. Okay. It's a haiku-like form. It's not that interesting to write about. It's really hard. It's wonder. It's wonderfully interesting to write about a great film. It is purgatory to write about a bad film. Writing about bad TV is thrilling. <laughs> well, what's there's the difference? A lot, there's a lot there. It's just like there's a you can and you can kind of make fun of it. Like as a film critic, people take it so fuck. I mean, okay, TV criticism has become like this. But when I was a TV critic, you could just be a jackass about everything, and people weren't like. Your are feeling about the undercurrent of misogyny in Broad City is completely inaccurate. And Anyway, I did both of those things, movie and TV. And then eventually, and it was just very chaotic. The Daily was chaotic and yeah. crazy. And I was, you know, 3,000 miles away. But I was a very sensitive flower, you know, who I get a bad email. And I was just like, ah. But know. haven't
1: you been kind of far away you know, I, from the mothership the whole time?
2: Yeah. But I was at Salon. And salon was a very loving and accepting, wonderful place. And I still was just a complete skinless chicken about everything. Like, (laughs) do you invest? I can't do that. I was a diva.
1: When you were working remotely like that, like how much of your energy and time, of your professional time, is like managing those digital relationships?
2: I managed everything horribly always. uh, In the old days, when I was at salon, I was just, I would just pick up the phone and be like you know what I don't really like very much, you know, just stupid. (laughs) I'd get in meetings and I'd say stupid things. I mean, I was just like a really reckless, stupid person. And I didn't realize I was until I got to the Daily. And then I was like, oh, fast-moving New York media people don't like it when you say what's on your mind (laughs) in emails at all. They don't like it at all. So I kind of learned... You know, I was there for three months. And then I, and then actually, Adam Sternberg went to the New York Times magazine and wanted me to write riffs for them semi-regularly. And I was like, I can't do this and have this stupid TV movie criticism <laughs> job. I got to quit this job and become freelance. So there was an impetus for quitting and becoming freelance. Yeah. And then there, once I was freelance, there was just a huge crisis of confidence that happened because the riffs, everyone in the world wanted to write those riffs because it was just a great like hybrid essay format. And I was, like, sitting around in my house. Like, I didn't have enough enough deadlines. You know, I need a lot of deadlines in order to write well because you just keep the flow going. So I didn't have enough going on, and I was trying to write these amazing, like, incredible think pieces to the New York Times Magazine, and I was just like, what could it be about? Like, let's just take two things and put them, Jaws and, you know, Good and Plenties. I just like, messed up, just artificial, you know, coming at it from this bad artificial Place. right
1: and you you had like one slot every couple of weeks one like,
2: slot every you know two months right that was when I pitched the advice column to the all and this again i I think that you would categorize this as it kind of falling in my lap this was the one thing that I said I'll do this and but at the time I was actually saying to Corey at the all I should write about TV for you because it was something that I you know I was a TV critic at that time kind of like that's what I had been yeah so. I was like, would you guys need a TV column? You know, and his instead of saying, I mean, Corey's so nice, he didn't say, no, we don't. He just would kind of say, sure, yeah, what did you have in mind? You know, like he'd kind of humor me. he would be like, I don't know, something strange, something really not even anything like a TV column, where I wouldn't have to watch that much TV. I'd just kind of talk about whatever I wanted, <laughs> you know. And he'd be like, hmm, let me just talk to the." the guys about let me think about that let me see how that goes so he'd sort of like string me along like yeah you you know mild enthusiasm like open to ideas so finally one day i pitched him the advice column because i just needed a tiny amount of money in the mail attached to a tiny deadline every week so that i felt like okay i'm a writer i'm writing look at me i'm Mm -hmm. turning in my thing that i do every week not all writers are like that but my thing is like Having been a columnist for years, I love that just, you know, some things always do. It sounds terrible kind of probably to someone who writes novels. It sounds kind
1: of panic inducing, but like uh, good things can come from panic.
2: It was like, what can I do? What do I know I can do? I was writing advice on my blog for years. I was like, I know I could write an advice column. And then I was like, oh, I know. I'll call it an existential advice column. And then Corey will think it's a little strange and interesting, (laughs) even though it's really just an advice column. And then, th- you know, more things started falling in my lap, actually, from there.
1: Did you basically just say yes to all those things that came in at that
2: time? Kind of, because I needed the money bad, you mm-hmm. know? I was falling behind in the arms race with my husband <laughs> for who has more income.
1: I assume New York Magazine just came along and they were like, what do you make at the hall? Here's <laughs> considerably more than that to do the same thing.
2: Yeah, and, you know, they did. And, you know, the first call I got, I was like, oh, they're probably not that serious about this. And then I got a call, another call, and it was obvious that they were serious. And I remember it was Stella Bugby, the director there, who's really awesome at the cut. Um, and she said, we could probably double what you're making right now. And I, said, I, was, I think I was making... I like talking about numbers. People don't like this about me, but. Um.
1: The number one thing that people ask for about the show is for people to talk about numbers. Oh, really?
2: Yeah. Are you just What you don't want to do is get people in trouble who have budgets at places where, you know what I mean? Like, you get your current There's a gig. reason that
1: people don't want to talk about numbers. <laughs> there's, all, there's, there's basically, as far as I could tell, there's almost nothing good comes from the Talking about numbers for the person who's talking about numbers, <laughs> which is not what I should say before you're about that's to talk not, about. That's
2: not you're you're very very bad at your job. Okay, <laughs> so that's
1: that's been proven in many many ways over the course of these episodes.
2: I was making one fifty at first. I said, "Just pay me one," and this is classic me negotiating. I was like, "Corey, just pay me one fifty. That way, my husband won't spit on the floor." You know, when he hears that I'm doing this, and then it got up to I think three hundred, right? And and then Stella said we're prepared to double what you're making, right? I said, "Well, I'm only making 300, but I really love the all and I don't, you know, I can't really see moving it away from the all because it'll change if I move it. Like I really didn't want to I didn't want to go anywhere else um at all. I actually did. I wasn't even really open to it. I just was like someone from New York Magazine's on the phone, so I'm going to talk to them because they'll probably hire me to do something else too, who knows. It's not that I hustle, it's just that if someone calls me, I make a pretty good impression. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I saw, I remember writing down 600, you know, like she's going to pay me 600. And I wrote down 600 and then I immediately wrote down 800 question mark. <laughs> and you know, in your mind, you get off the phone and you're like, "Fuck, I wonder if I could yeah. get her up to 1200 or <laughs> right. 1500 or 2000." You know, you just you the world yeah. becomes made of, you know, diamonds and bubblegum or something. But eventually she uh did double right the amount i was making and a little bit more and okay. and you know it's been worth it to them it's a pop, very popular column like, yeah and I have think you
1: renegotiated that
2: the, uh i did renegotiate but i i did i i asked for more and then i said i just really don't want to ask for an amount that when someone's doing the budget somewhere they just look at each other and go why are we paying this idiot this much money <laughs> Yeah, I'm, such an, I'm such a dummy, you know? I am an idiot. And Stella said, um, I don't think anyone's gonna ever say that, actually. But yeah, okay, mm-hmm. you know? So I sort of shot myself in the foot. I, didn't, I, I did not renegotiate <laughs> effectively, let me <laughs> just say. But I write a little bit more than just the column. I write, like, two other things a month mm-hmm. for them. Freelance. And it's steady money.
1: Like, you have a long-term contract?
2: Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, okay, they don't do long-term um, I should not even be saying these things, but yeah. yeah yes, it's, you they, should. It's they, fine. <laughs> they, they, I think that they mostly do yearly contracts. I think that Frank Rich probably has more than a year out contract. Let mm-hmm. me just guess. Um, I don't know. New York is a great place. I, I have nothing but good things to say about them. They're so, it's like the best place I've ever worked by far. And I loved the all like, you know, like no one else. But um, they're good to writers. And it shows they have a lot of good writers writing for them.
1: Aside from, uh, aside from uh, negotiating poorly.
2: You- I used to negotiate really well. Let me just say, when I was at, the, when I was at Suck, I walked into this meeting and I said, these, the kids who were my bosses were younger than me. I think I asked for like $120,000 or something like that. Like that's how I got $80,000. I asked for like a million times more. Uh-huh. It's, it can really backfire. It's not, I would not recommend this as a negotiating. Well, I mean, tactic. that's like
1: what negotiating is, right? Like uh, you you take some risk. You like <laughs> take some risk that someone's going to be like, "That's preposterous." You should just you can just uh, leave now.
2: Part of it is being able to say with a straight face, you know, which is this is the hard part for me. I can't say anything with a straight face, you know. It's like being able to say. I know that my, the thing I do is of great value to your organization. And I know that I, you know, it's only going to get more valuable and I'm not going to stop doing it. And it's only going to get better. I mean, being able to say things like that, that's what I would say now if I was having my meeting with Stella. But okay, I guess I'll do that next year.
1: Yeah, that's not easy.
2: It's not easy because it's a publication. Like if you've been around long enough, you know that, Everyone is worried that people will start consuming words in a different way. Obviously, you know, if you walked in and said, I'm prepared to turn this column into a podcast if I need to and turn it into a video after that, if I need to do that. And I I look goddamn good, too. I can make videos and I can tell jokes and I can also dance. And have you seen me play (laughs) the spoons? That's how I feel now, actually. I feel like. I could do a lot of things. I'm not going to stop doing some form of what I'm doing now. It's not that I want my whole world to only be this, you know, so-called brand, Mm -hmm. which is a shitty word. Um, I'll always do a lot of different things. Sometimes I'm tempted not to write snarky shit about culture because there's a little bit of conflict with the heartfelt shit I write to human beings. Mm -hmm. Like, I do feel a little conflicted about, like, am I just harshing on other women? Am I part of the problem? Am I harshing on other human beings who are just trying to make it in the world? But I actually think, you know, some part of me just feels like, I mean, we have to have good things. There are going to be a lot of shitty things if everyone agrees that no one should ever harsh on anyone else. Criticism has a place in the world. It has a very important place, in my opinion.
1: But does part of that concern, is that about your poly readers, like maybe stumbling upon one of the harsh things and being like, Wow, that what was, the fuck is this? That was that was pretty harsh for that person. I like poured my uh, heart into.
2: Yes, I had a situation where I that was was very much in my face. You know, I wrote this really harsh thing about Katy Perry. I I like Carrie P- Katy Perry's music. You know, I'm fine with Katy Perry. I just sometimes you're writing and you convince yourself, yeah, this is it's important that someone says this. Like, no one ever says. Katy Perry, (laughs) (laughs) No one ever says that. Maybe I should be the one to say it. Um, I'm a little bit moving away from wanting to write that kind of thing. I don't really want to spend my life writing, like, is that person's really so great? You know, like, that's not really my style. I don't really write that kind of thing anyway. Like, as a writer, it's easy to be tempted to write all kinds of crazy things that you shouldn't necessarily be writing, you know? But I did have this reckoning at that time with, like, where culture is right now, how careful you have to be about the way you describe a lot of different things, how you kind of can't just be as obnoxious as you want to be. It's weird being in L.A. because comedians and people in L.A., there's a very un-PC kind of uh, thing out here, you know? Yeah, but
1: that's changing pretty quickly, don't you think? You think? Yeah.
2: And I'm conflicted about it because I'm kind of like, I like the idea of total freedom, you know? And I, and I like the idea of people showing their, their true selves. It's, it's, but then you get someone like Trump out there and you're sort of like, uh, if I'm reckless, that's how I'm going to sound. And I don't want to sound like that. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to bring more hate to the world. But anyway, I basically, I got to this place where I realized that I have to put my anger somewhere too. You know, it, it kind of turned into this philosophy. It's like, Should people be one thing? Should people represent one thing that they do at all times? You know, like, do you want to be a politician or do you want to be a a fucking person who contradicts herself? I contradict myself every few milliseconds. That is who I am.
1: So you've got this column now that is being read by many, many people. At this moment, do you feel like you are going to continue just kind of like taking what falls in your lap? Or do you feel some urge to... Like, go out and get what you want?
2: I don't want that much, honestly. I don't really want an uh, some kind of empire. Uh, you know, whatever. It's not even... Ask Folie is weird enough that it's kind of hard to see it as an empire, or how would you, you know... I, the thing is, someone can make shit out of the best things out there. You know, like, if it became incredibly popular, there would be the danger that someone would come in and find ways to fuck it up, Right. Do you see how I think about this? It's like, I'm not looking for opportunities. I'm trying to avoid them completely. Um, I am developing a podcast um, with a friend who's been in podcasting for a long time. That feels like it's going to be a really interesting, great thing.
1: So your answer to that question is basically, uh, if there is some like bigger ambitious play here, I'm not interested in it because there's downsides, but I'm going to start a podcast.
2: The podcast thing to me only feels right because me and my friend who I've known for 15 years are just going to kind of tool around and see what happens. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like that's the only way it could possibly feel um, normal and it's the only way I could possibly make something that I'm sure is good enough or at least, you know, because I, I've said to her many times, like, if we start doing this, and it's annoying. Like, if we create something that's annoying, we're not fucking doing this. I don't care what, ha- you know, like, we're just going to... What's the g-
1: realm which would be annoying?
2: An advice podcast? There's so many ways to fuck it up. <laughs> to, you know... So tell me. yeah. The thing is, I'm just about to probably parody exactly what it eventually becomes. You know, I'm just going to foreshadow it. It's like, the, you know the whole realm of self help, right? The whole realm of advice, the whole that whole nation. A lot of people just don't even visit that nation because it's so filled with bad, bad things, you know? It's like people accept a level of cliché speak. And I, you know, there's no way to avoid it. There are there are clichés in every single column I've ever written. In the beginning we were thinking about having themed podcasts. And then I realized if we have themes, we're not going to get into people's individual stories. The thing that I think is going to be at the center of this podcast, hopefully, I haven't even started recording it yet, <laughs> is specific people. It's a, just people, you know? Mm-hmm. One podcast I love, Mystery Show,
1: yeah.
2: very strange, interesting stories. You don't know where they're going to go. They mm-hmm. don't always resolve in an incredibly satisfying way. And sometimes they do, but it's always based on who she happens to find along the way and what these weird little moments make it, you know, what I don't want to do is, you know, that's one thing that is really hard about marriage. Okay. (laughs) Marriage. And I've always told people marriage is just, it's about communication.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you just don't want it to be obvious.
2: Not only obvious, but the thing that I dread the most in life, and I I am an arrogant person, so I am susceptible to this. I don't want to be the lady who's like, Oh, Rebecca, 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 Rebecca. (laughs) I've been there. I feel your pain. But let me tell you from up here high on the mountain, where my highlights are glistening gorgeously in the sun, as Oprah holds my hand, that you are... So fucked. You're so fucked, Rebecca. If only you could feel the love in your heart that I have. But you'll get there. You will.
1: I can almost see the lip gloss right it, now.
2: <laughs> glistening in the sunlight. Yeah. I'm very cynical about that. I don't, I just, I think it's easy to, I just, this, okay. In, in our culture, it's easy to land there. People will, once you become an empire, once you become a brand, people will gather around you and tell you, that you're a fucking genius and your brand becomes the ship that slowly just slips away from you. And oh, all yeah. of a sudden, you believe that you are your brand. You know, you believe that you're supposed to speak in sound bites. And I don't know, I, I see that as a, an incredible danger. The thing is, being good on TV requires kind of boiling yourself down, right? Mm-hmm. Being like an advertisement for yourself, a walking advertisement for yourself. I, I know that I can never be that effectively. And that's like kind of a bummer because there are times when it would be convenient to be that. So I shouldn't even fear it. But I do think that um, I just know now that I don't give a shit if I, you know, succeed or fail or what I do next. I just wanna do things that are strange and not not soundbitey. That just are not like that. I don't wanna be polished. If nope, there's nope. one thing I don't want, max <laughs> I want to be such a wreck that no one will say, let's put her, you know, on her own talk show ever. You know what I mean?
1: Well, you got to have goals, Heather. (laughs) You have to have goals.
2: I want the world to reject me over and over again. I never want to make a cent from this shit beyond the money that I'm making now,
1: which you're very comfortable talking about. (laughs) I've got some uh, speed questions. Uh, I'm oh, ask you no. Speed, speed questions.
2: I'm not speedy. And like, you the, these are
1: also not good speed questions, but there are just some things I want to ask you. So I'm just going to ask you them. Okay. Okay. Here's one. Okay. Why does self-help rule the internet right now? Like if you go to the New York Times or the New Yorker or in GQ or wherever, everything on the most popular list is like six ways to learn to meditate how to pick yourself up after a heartbreak. Like it, self-help rules the internet. Why do you think that is?
2: I have to answer quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh God.
2: I think we're in a, having a moment where everyone is expecting way too much from themselves. Actually, we're all expecting too much from ourselves and each other. We expect not just a level of kind of, prof- it's like professionalism inside and out. I'm working on a piece about this actually for New York Magazine right now, right now. My belief is that, and I see this in the letters I get too, people are almost having like this existential crisis as a a whole, as a culture. And they're all saying like, oh my God, you know, like I'm so far off from someone who could give a Ted talk. I'm so far off from someone who could be a brand. Like I think everyone feels that successful living is like, you know, you must do yoga. It's not just an option. Mm -hmm. Like you better be doing yoga. If you're not doing yoga, you must be meditating. There's psychobabble in all dramatic writing, TV, movies. Yeah. It's, I find it very boring, actually. It's all just very on the nose, like, oh, I don't <laughs> like it. I mean, it, it's ironic. I wish uh, ironic. people could see you cringing right now. <laughs> it's what I do, and I think that it's kind of like bleeding out into the universe thanks to the fact that I took on an advice column. Now everyone's doing it. No. Everyone wants to be a clean, polished Completely realized inside and out. We are all supposed to be living our best lives on the outside and on the inside, which is fucked up and impossible.
1: Who do you go to advice for?
2: I go to advice for my husband. He's a little bit of a yes man. So (laughs) (laughs) that's why I'm so crazy. He supports most of my bad ideas and impulses, um, which is great. He does give very pragmatic advice, like maybe you should just put that idea down and walk away from it for a little bit. You know, like he, he once said to me, he said this to me like a week ago. He was like, for such a sane person, you're the most impulsive person I've ever met in my life.
1: How do you choose which letters to respond to?
2: I answer the letters that are, that just make me feel something. I, I read a lot of letters and I feel sad for people a lot, but there's a different kind of feeling with the letters that I end up running. It's a feeling that... um something's some little piece of the puzzle is missing and i'm holding the puzzle the piece i don't know what the hell like the piece is like the person
1: themselves doesn't see a part of they're it.
2: not seeing something mm-hmm. like i see a repeating pattern just in the language of the letter kind of it's an evocative letter it's like a letter that makes me oh you know if i feel like god i don't want to answer this letter then i probably will end up answering it
1: <laughs> do you have any advice For writers, particularly younger writers, who, A, write from home, and B, are trying to figure out how to make a freelancing life for themselves.
2: Exercise every day. Uh, Go on Twitter and follow a bunch of editors and just kind of put yourself in the realm of writers and editors on Twitter or, I mean, I, I use Twitter. I don't know. There are probably other places to do it. Pay attention to what makes you angry or upset. The things that make you frustrated, there's usually some kind of interesting either humor or story, or there's something there, you know, instead of thinking about what other people want from you, like, oh, they're looking for pitches about, you know, pets. (laughs) You have to think about what you, what is just eating away at you. It's hard because it's hard to translate that from just a journal entry to like a A thing.
1: Something to be consumed.
2: Yeah, but you got to look to the things that really, that interest you, but that also make you really um, passionate, make you feel something, you know? And get enough sleep and don't panic.
1: Okay, last question. You have a book coming out in July. It's called uh, How to Be a Person in the World. Uh, The last question, remember, this is the speed round. How do you be a person in the world?
2: Um... (laughs) <laughs> let me start with an um you gotta lean way into what you already are lean way the fuck in except look right at the worst the so-called worst things about yourself and figure out how to celebrate those things if the worst things in you are include hurting other people obviously i'd caution you against <laughs> don't,
1: don't even lean into that part
2: don't lean into setting you know, small animals on fire, but the things that you are the most afraid of, the things that you're the most afraid that you might become. I mean, look at me, I talked during this whole interview about how afraid I am of like being someone who gives other people advice essentially, like who owns that out in the open. And yet that's, you know, to, I was always afraid of like taking on some kind of really soft art you know, like something that really showed my emotions. Um, But I think I've been fighting that for a long time, and now I'm I'm owning it, you know. It's like it's the most embarrassing thing I could possibly do, walk around talking about emotional stuff, you know. And yet it's who I've become, and, you know, it fucking somehow works. I don't really understand it. But when you look at yourself and you say, oh, God forbid that this one part of me ever shows, you know? You can only see it because it keeps showing. It keeps showing. It wants to be shown. Lean into that and your path becomes, I'm not gonna say free of obstacles because it's never fucking free of obstacles, but it becomes a little clearer.
1: It's really good advice.
2: I'm really fucking good at this, Max, <laughs> I'm telling you. I know you don't believe me.
1: <laughs> I believe you, Emma. that's why I'm here. <laughs> Thank you, Heather.
2: Thanks a lot for having me. It was really fun.
1: Thanks for listening to Long Form. I'm Max Linsky. My co-hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Our editor is Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our intern this week, Courtney Harrell. Thanks to our sponsors, MailChimp, Audible, and Squarespace. And thanks very much to Heather Haverleski, Thanks also to her dogs, who sat at my feet and were very quiet that entire interview. Heather's new book will be out in a couple of months. It's called How to Be a Person in the World, a topic she knows a thing or two about. We'll see you next week.
0: Why do you run? Why does anyone